With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Um, so Bitcoin's right now at about 23,500, uh, doing its steady rise where it's early August, uh, coming back from the summer low of, I think, 17, 18,000, wherever it hit. Um, and, and really the focus has not been on the cryptocurrency market. I, I have to say in the last few years that this is the least amount I've ever paid attention to the tickers um, because there's so much building going on. There's so much innovation and there's so much energy around really deriving where's the next bull market going to be, who's going to be the big player, and, and what are those categories going to be? And so based on those, uh, we've got Adam and Seth from, from Token Events right now. And I really want to kind of give them some time to talk about where they came from, what they're doing today, and kind of their vision for the future of a lot of this. Because I have to say, there's a lot of companies that we talk to and, and, and oh, there's a lot of people that want to get on the podcast and we say no to. And there's others that were like, you know, in the first 10 seconds, we're like, yep, please come on. We have to talk to you. This is really great. And, and, and so really excited about, you know, the innovators that, that we have uh, here today because we're at Adam and Seth from Token Events. Um, and, and, and I think this is really important to talk about, you know, the fact that there's real businesses and real companies. And, you know, one of the things that Y Whales always talks about is starting as a true, like, legal entity and then building from there. And that's one of the things I love about Token Events. But before we get into all that, and, and they've got a long story here, Adam, what, what was kind of your first exposure to cryptocurrencies and, and what got you kind of to, to this point today that, that really was that early education? Sure. Um, interestingly enough, I worked in the data innovation side um, at J.P. Morgan Chase on building these massive petabyte-driven um, data warehouses. And um, after I left there and went into management consulting, my first jump from being inside of the big institutional banks was I my first foray into this was actually I was inside of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So I sat as a consultant at the exchange about um, how to fix liquidity inside of an exchange through the clearinghouse. And so the big unpack for me was seeing, you know, from an institutional bank, like how that data is used and how to actually build out these big data warehouses and what that data means and the difference between, say, Oracle and Teradata and all those things, all the way to walking into an exchange and seeing and sitting in a room with quants and um, analysts in seeing these diametrically opposed thoughts or lines of thinking in how at the end of the day, these trades and the liquidity inside these markets are made. And the unlock for me was, wait, we're trying to add like $36 billion of liquidity to um, say crude oil. And you can do that in real life with your liquidity as a person. And I was like, why aren't we trying to add more liquidity to people's lives um, on a day-to-day -day basis? And so what's interesting is I came into um, Web3 and crypto from a different angle as a uh, developer and as a you know senior consultant in understanding how these things work and how to take these combinations of thoughts and ideas and turn them into liquidity. 
And so then I kind of rolled that backwards and started to think more around, okay, where are some of the places and um, spaces where humans could have more liquidity added to their day-to-day life? And then I started to think about, um, and this was kind of before it was coined or before it was a big deal. It was in 2015 when I started this path with token. It was, how am I going to add liquidity or utility to a person's life in a way that they it's a low lift for them they're going to be doing these things anyway which you know people are going to be trading crude anyway people are going to be buying mercantile anyway how do i do that for just myself or the general public versus these um markets and exchanges and um all that good stuff and so as i started to take all of these lessons that i knew from building these massive warehouses and building these data exchanges and working on how to um, bring the quant and the analysts together. You know, one's heavily rooted in the math and the other one's rooted in if a butterfly uh, flaps its wings in Nebraska, what happens? And I started to really unpack, well, let's start building something for a user. Again, design thinking, user at the center of the problem, and how are we going to add liquidity to their life? And the liquidity is the utility, and that utility could be used to create this generative economy where they can actually engage in things that they're really wanting to do. And so I started from the um, from the seat of a fan because I thought, for me, um, full disclosure, former rugby player, played all over the globe, uh, had interactions um, with fans, um, I've been on the field. I understand the dynamics of being a player, um, you know, over my shoulder, you'll see a band name. Happen to know those guys, great group of people, know their management's on our advisory board. And uh, really having understood some of the pitfalls and things that they get frustrated about, I was like, I see an opportunity here to actually add liquidity to people's lives. And so I started at what happens at the threshold. And again, people are like, oh, you're an NFT ticketing app or whatever. Not really. Um, that's just like a feature of an entire platform and business we've built. Getting over the thresholds, one thing, people stage gate that, people do that. And when I started this path in 2015, I was like, it doesn't scale quite yet. You're still running into these problems where you're actually not adding liquidity, you're actually adding more service fees, et cetera. And that wasn't good enough for me. And so starting to think more across like the omni-channel, meaning across all channels, how do you build a platform that could plug into all of these other things and it becomes a combinatorial innovation where all these these different facets of um, the, the fan engagement can actually plug into and then that fan being at the center is gaining the utility the same way you do when you unlock um, liquidity in a market. So that's how we got there. And I started to think about, and I know that's a very long-winded way of saying um fan engagement and, um, and, uh, and building fan um, engines and platforms, but it's the truth. It's exactly how we landed here and um, where a lot of our innovation and our patents came into play was let's not just like throw an NFT at the problem. Let's actually put some technology towards the problem and let's invent some things in this space that are needed to bridge because everybody on the podcast, maybe are, are they're learning or they're uh, already there, but um, we need to start building these bridges and connecting these things and take our innovation and combine that with existing technology.
I, I love that. And we're going to circle around uh, after Seth because you, you said a word that, that rarely is said on this podcast, and it's a word called patent. Um, and sure. and most, most in Web3 have not heard that word before, so we want to make sure to circle around and provide a proper definition. But, but Seth, sure. um, and you also have an amazing story of, of how you got here, and I'd love to, love to kind of give the audience a, a little bit of background on yourself as well. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, my path is slightly different, but Adam and I kind of crossed cosmic uh, trajectories together at one point. Um, so I am a philosophy major uh, by trade. And typically what you do with a philosophy degree is uh, become a PhD in philosophy, or you go to law school, or you wind up in the service industry. And the latter is where I landed. <laughs> and uh was managing uh, clubs and small businesses for um, quite a while and um, actually worked in the music industry and adjacent industries to uh, the music business, um, doing talent buying and event management and all sorts of back of house functions that give me somewhat of a unique perspective, I think, now with Token. But uh, years later, I wound up at a, a custom software development outfit and uh, worked in the agency team to get started, which means... Um, I was partnering with creatives all up and down the East Coast was my territory at first. So some of the most brilliant creatives um, in the country, in New York and Boston, D.C. and elsewhere. But it was definitely baptism by fire, right? It was uh, We were brought in as, as fixers and, and the cavalry many times for projects that had already gone sideways and really taught you to orient quickly with what a successful build looks like and what successful partnerships uh, look like. And... Um, really wide array of experiences across different tech stacks, different in-house abilities, uh, different types of applications, um, all different methods of contracting and, and working in concert with other people. And um, did that for quite a while, eventually wound up in more enterprise flavor business, working directly with Fortune 50s um, and in a position of delivery leadership. I'm a certified scrum master. So, you know, we were what was unique about what I was doing, I think, in terms of technical sales was we would work everything that we sold from start to finish. So you inherit, you kind of sow, reap what you sow in many ways, and it teaches you a lot of caution and discipline and proper risk mitigation and, and proactive communication with clients. And um, that's actually where Adam and I kind of cross paths. So as far as crypto is concerned, um, I was playing in the space in 2017, 2018. I remember taking meetings, work meetings, and I was charting various assets. And people were asking me what I was doing. And uh, I, I walked away during the bear market, one of my larger regrets in life. Um, <laughs> but in that sense, you know, I was an enthusiast. And I, I don't know if I would say early adopter, but um, was very interested in, in the promise uh, of, of blockchain and also kind of making that sort of parlay personally into blockchain uh, tech as opposed to, you know, very focused on application builds and system integrations and, and, and those types of things. You know, one, one of the things I want to point out with both of you guys uh, for the audience as well is, is that we're, we're starting to see this more and more commonly now um, is, is the, the long-term professionals. And, and there's nothing wrong with some of the, the, the younger crowd that's, you know, they're, they're very passionate about what they're doing and they're building. Um, but there's something to be said about that 10,000 hours. There's something to be said about, you know, Adam, your, your history that you have with, with big data and just the lessons and failures that you learned along the way. And, and Seth, yeah. you know, walking into to server rooms and, and entire organizations on 
fire and, and you're, it's, it's already over. Now you just have to go, how can I fix this and uneff it as much as possible? Like those, those are kind of the lessons that, that are be really important at, to bring maturity into this asset class. Um, because there's certain things that you guys will do, not because you're, you're, you're taught to do so, not because that it's on a checklist that you need to do so. It's just, you know, from experience, you've got to double and triple check these things that, there's there's a reason why you should protect your IP that you're making is because you don't want to trust anyone and open source is fabulous you're you're probably you know great open source it but we own this we've developed this this is our long term play and so I, I really again applaud you guys for um, a really innovative way to to step into this asset class um, and and be like hey guys do you mind if we play but we're gonna we're gonna bring the rules from the the big world um, and that's really awesome to see so uh, good to hear. Yeah, it was interesting when we were at Consensus um, and I was presenting and um, talking about all the things we're building. Somebody actually came up to me after this, um, after my presentation. He's like, I saw a bunch of like patent numbers um, on these slides. What were those? And I said, oh, those are patents on the technology that we've built. And he said, I've been to I don't know how many speeches or presentations. It's like, this is the only one where I saw somebody present an idea that was that had a number under it and i said well i mean to be fair i'm i'm a software developer i'm an engineer and open source is great and trust me we're doing our 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 best with what we can open source but if you're going to innovate and thrive and build something you should protect it and own it because as we shift the zeitgeist and as we're in these early days we should put our thumbprint on really what is truly ours and the, the trails we are blazing. And it's great if people want to piggyback on that and use it, but um, you can't just use it for free because it just becomes this um, recidivist over and over thing that happens where people are just copy pasting and it's not really truly um, making changes for users. But when you're blazing trails, you should kind of own your trail and you know, you can hop on the highway, but there's a little bit of uh, give and take to that, you know. Yeah. No. Awesome. Awesome. So, so let's dive into uh, to, to the reason why we're here today: token events. Um, Adam, you want to take a stab at a at a you know good elevator pitch of of uh, you know kind of what what would be uh, the reason why someone would use this and, and kind of the overall use case. Yeah. The overall use case is this: um, as a as a person, as a human, as a user. I like to go um, to events. I like to engage in social. I like to um, search, browse. And I also understand that Web3 is coming and um, I want to get rewards for my behaviors and rewards for my participation. So we've created the platform, the engagement tools, and um, the data insights on users not only being able to get the rewards through the utility of the platform, but also ownership and um the data and I'm sorry, not the data and their identity. So we're building the tool sets so a person can have that DID or zero trust network and use us as a platform to own their data and make utility from their data and then use that to engage further into their fandom. 
and and just that core concept for you know anyone that doesn't understand kind of the the logistics around you know concerts, sporting events, or anything else. Um, even with the on Ticketmaster's best day, meaning you filled out every single form that you possibly could, the the event <laughs> that doesn't get passed along to to the events that doesn't get passed along to the stadium. That's proprietary yes. uh, to the ticketing system, and so you're saying that you're transparent to that. So the the artists, the band, the the the, the teams, um, as well as the stadiums, kind of understand who their clientele is. Yeah, one hundred percent. So there's this big thing in the market where it's you have engagement, which is the big shiny thing, which is you know I want to go to a Blackhawks game, and then you have receptors, the reception and the receptors, the learning where the engagement doesn't ever go to reception to where they can learn in real time and understand in real time. What we're saying in the participation economy is someone's going to participate in real time. They're going to own their data, own their identity and the, the venue, the band, the fan, the social networks, any of the, uh, any of the other um, um, consensus mechanisms that are plugged into us, they're going to be able to see the reception in real time and engage that user in real time in ways that are actually beneficial, not in this sense of like, well, this thing happened and a bunch of people bought sweatshirts, but we don't know why. They're going to be able to actually make real adjusted uh, decisions inside of the venue. And we're also um, plugging into the IoT, IOB, and this 5G edge world where that data is getting exchanged all day, but nothing's really being done with it. I've sat on lots of calls with Verizon and all these other 5G providers around. They don't really know. They've brought the pipe to the stadium or they brought the pipe to the people, but nobody's really innovating from that. So we're closing that gap and we're just bringing that fan in the, the venue and in, in, in the entity closer together. And those receptors are now feeding the engagement in real time. Awesome. Awesome. So let me, let me do this. And I think this will be helpful because there's a lot of things going on and this is a very in-depth product. Um, yeah. Adam, I'd, I'd like you to, to walk through the path of, of a, um, of a concert goer. Um, and, and Seth, I'd like you to, after Adam walks through kind of the, the fans, uh, path of engagement, can you walk through what the venue would be seeing on the back end in that same, in that same, uh, instance? Yeah. So as a fan, um, I'm going to go see my favorite band. I'm going to probably take a ride via train, via walking, via some route. That's data. I'm going to go across the threshold. Well, I'm sorry, I purchased my ticket. Or in, in this case, we've invented uh, the NFE, the non-fungible experience and the non-fungible event. And we'll dig into the difference between NFEs and NFTs very soon. So I've, I've purchased my ticket, but it's truly the NFE. And now that I have my ticket in hand, that data and all of the things correlated to me are building my thumbprint and my DID as a user. I go to the concert. Now in real time, I'm able to um, use the application or use the platform to talk to the point of sale. So a band may know within or the management of that band may know within minutes or um, a half hour what's happening on what's happening inside the house. Food, beer, etc., merch, how many people are there, what even down to the connection level, 3G, 4G, 5G, LTE, all of those things, and then being able to serve those fans in different ways and actually look at their past engagement. You could see like that Adam has bought. You're, you're jumping into Seth's realm here. So we're just, so you got to stick with the fans. Stick with I'll the fans. I'll stick with my fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> my fault. 
So um, <laughs> as a fan, I truly do not want to worry about how I get over the threshold. Got we it. take care of that. We take care of it for you. And then as I'm going over the threshold and that, that bit of engagement happens, I see utility hit my wallet. I walk around, I buy merch, I see utility hit my wallet. I get updates. I get um, different types of engagements from either the band or the venue for future things or for merchandise. I see the show. I'm also able to take some of that utility and give it back to the band. I'm also able to give it back to the, um, the creator, right? Because creators in this economy, in this new economy that's coming up, um, th- they're in a place now, if you look at people and everything else, where you can get a direct line to them and show your love to them without having to have like a ticket master of these different gatekeepers in the way. And so what we're trying to do is provide those people, provide those two entities with that utility so they can have a closer interaction. And then, and again, you can like plug into um, uh, like a social protocol, like lens or something like that, right? Where you're able to then even expand further and aggregate more data. And so the more that I'm, the more that I'm participating, the more utility I'm getting. And then now I had a great time at the show. And then even after I leave, you know, my Uber ride or anything else can also become a part of this because um, by signing in and providing us with these data layers, we can then provide them with more utility. I'll let Seth take the, take the, the thunder. Love it. So, so Seth on the, on the other side, what is, what is the venue or the band or the, the event space scene? Sure. Yeah. I think a good place to start is um, sort of baseline what information venues currently have uh, on their users. Right. And, some of that might be through their payment methods. Some of it is through basic headcount information. There might be some stickiness metrics of when people bounce out of events or duration of stay or average spend, right? Um, but it's, it's very rudimentary, very crude data, and it's very hard to organize and, and make sense out of. And as a venue, you know, something that we're aware of and becoming more aware of is not only is operations uh, a huge area of concern and efficiency with ticketing and, and uh, everything else in-house, but also promotional dollars and sponsorships are massive for these entertainment venues, right? And right now, it's sort of a spray-and-pray method of promoting. Like, I think of going to a baseball game. I'm a Brewer fan. I'm from Milwaukee. You know, you look at ads thrown up on a Jumbotron during the sausage race or whatever and hope that people take their ticket stubs to a particular mezzanine level or redeem a pack of now and laters at a pick and save, you know, a week later. Like it's, it's very antiquated um, how people are throwing money at these types of promotions and also understanding how effective they are and who's actually converting on the other side of those promotions. Um, So, I mean, that's massive, but on a more brass tacks level, uh, as a venue manager, we're building out these different flows, right? Adam just described uh, a flow that will be represented in our MVP, which we're unveiling soon. We're pretty excited about, but um, the fan flow. And then there's a manager and admin flow for back of house functions where you can start to visualize these these different sort of BI, Power BI type of um, real-time analytics of uh, not just how many people are in-house, but you have user-submitted data prior to an event and after an event, right? Mm -hmm. So users can 
we're, we're all about, Adam mentioned, being user-centered, but also take this uh, notion of data security and privacy very seriously. And I think what we've seen, we did our homework, Jay. We listened to some of your prior podcasts. I'm so sorry. Uh, but talking about, talking, <laughs> that was fantastic. And I think the Constellation guys did a, did a great job as well. We're, we're friends with oh, them, right. obviously. But um, talking about Web2 and how it's sort of this, we'll provide you, we'll furnish you with these applications and, and maybe some tooling. But on the backside of that, we are harvesting the data and using it in extremely malignant ways. And the, and the difference between that uh, and token is users volunteer this data and they can also control the inputs of that data. And then they have some sort of immutable ownership of that data and can rescind it um, from interaction with the platform or with advertisers. Um, so prior to an event, a user volunteers uh, some profile information and going into it weeks in advance, uh, these venues can have a much more comprehensive snapshot of who's going to be present, what their interests are, and what the impacts might be for everything from staffing, you know, security to how much beer they need to order. Uh, because, you know, they might know that you love Miller Lite when you go to a brewer game, for example. Um, so all of that, we see opportunities to streamline operations. Um and especially as we approach this sort of 5G future that Adam's been talking about, right, there's all sorts of opportunities and ways that this could scale in, in terms of geolocation of fans, um, beacons. You know, we've, uh, Adam and I both worked in IoT projects and we've seen their limitations in like the previous generation of IoT and how hardware dependent they are. But with 5G, I think it's really uh could be revolutionary revolutionary for a platform like token but um you know users within the event can redeem this fan uh, utility and their purchases um are logged and associated those behaviors are associated with their with their profile and then what we do is give venues and advertisers the ability to sort and aggregate that data in different ways and then and then also beyond the event i should mention they can maintain a dialogue with fans, you know, if they want to. And if fans are receptive to that, uh, they can push notifications in the event for certain types of promotions. They can uh, push surveys to people that they're very interested in. They can see who their most active fans are and, and kind of query their interests. Uh, and then beyond the event, uh, they can thank them in various ways. You know, uh, it's, it's very transactional if you think about uh, when you go to a hockey game or a concert what your affiliation is with that brand or with that venue and what your loyalty is to them beyond just that two hour episode. Uh, so we're, you know, it's, it's really, we found a way that we could kind of align the interests of these three different groups, which on the surface, they seem really combative and disparate and that's fans, venues, and artists. And they all want something different out of this shared experience or this convergence. Right. And with token, we found a way I think to align those incentives and, you know, incentives inspire behavior and behavior fuels adoption. So that's uh, overview. Yeah, this is fabulous. And so one of the things I want to point out for anyone that doesn't quite understand the way this works today, and, and in my forum, one of my YPO forums years and years ago, I had somebody who was in the event space and was designing software for this. And, and you know, we're, we go back to these archaic APIs. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons, and you guys correct me if I'm entirely wrong on this, that Amazon their engine for recommendations is so good is because they have so much data on you. Yeah. Um, they're tracking you across the internet. They've got, you know, anything and everything that, that you could possibly want to buy or, or uh, want to look at or rent or what movies you watch, what TV shows they like, they have so much data on you that they do make good recommendations sometimes, you know, that's, it's not perfect, but it clearly is better than, than almost any other website you're going to visit. Um, but they're not going to share that data. Um, and, and generally when you see other, other, you know, websites or whatnot, they say, Hey, would you allow us to share this, this data with third parties? 
they're just sharing your email so someone else can spam you and everything else. They're not really sharing anything relevant that makes your experience better. They're just saying, hey, this is a monetizable thing that we can sell. So coming over to what Token is doing here, and, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're quite simply saying, here's the relevant data which makes the client's experience better, which makes the venues Per, basically process procedures and and ramp, and ramp up to the event, you know, more streamlined and tailored that if you know that 70% of, of your fans are going to be leaving early because that's what, the way that they've interacted over the last two years, you know, maybe you need to do something to, to get them to stay for that last song or whatever the case is. Am I, am I on base here? Yeah, definitely. Exactly. And uh, what it, what is a more enriching experience? Like certainly, there's the monetization component of this, right? Where fans, presumably, they're going to be spanned with all manner of advertising, right? And let's commoditize that and let's reward them for their attention. But also, creators and fans that are contributing to these cultures and these economies. How, why are we not thanking them and thanking them proportionate to their contribution to the culture, or you know, the amount of times they visit the United Center, for example? Um, so. You know, I think that's one component of this as well. And then kind of just strengthening that bond between creators and brands and consumers and, and making it healthier in some ways. Like you were saying, Jay, mm-hmm. if we're going to fire ads at people, it's going to become the new norm to pay them for that, right? We're already seeing that with certain projects. We're seeing it with Brave Browser. Token is just more of a 3D expansive representation of that model, I think, in some ways. But if we're right. going to spam the, the living hell out of people with ads, might as well cater it to their interests, Right, and it benefits conversions on the side of the merchant or of the, of the side of the venue, and the fan isn't as put out by that, and they also know that they're earning utility that can then be used for you know purchases or um, you know moved elsewhere or upgrades for the experiences. So it's just a much more sort of positive, healthy interaction between these parties. And really, at the end of the day, uh, hopefully, our hope is that venues will use all this data to improve the experience. You know, let's say that there was an accessibility issue for somebody in a wheelchair in a certain section. Um, how, how would they ever know that? Unless it, you report it to a security guard, they tell nobody. But through the token platform, there are mechanisms that they can supply that feedback, right? Or if somebody was like, I would like more soft pretzels and nacho cheese at the vendor stands. Like these are all things that's like it just slips through the cracks with, with, with these events. And yeah. hopefully we can rein that in and really cater to users and provide them with a more enriching and in some, time, some cases a VIP experience for super users. Yeah, and, and, and I, you know, again, jumping back to something both Adam and Seth said is, you know, I don't think that as you guys are designing this, there's going to be somebody in the back, you know, a Gertha sitting there reading all these comments. You guys both have AI and and quants, you know, um, you know, experience and kind of big data on how to process this stuff. So just the fact that someone's giving you any feedback instead of it going into no man's land of an email box of which nobody's ever looking to look at or, or relevant, you're, you're attaching it to geolocations, you're attaching it to events, you're attaching it to people in a variety of other things that theoretically at least stand a chance of, of, of creating a, a valid user experience improvement in the future. Exactly. I mean, on top of that too, um, in my life it, in advertising and um, in the digital agency space, there's this little known thing that people don't talk about. It's not like a common, a common conversation. It's marketing sciences paired with the data sciences, right? So people don't think about all the marketing sciences that go into how advertising agencies or how marketing goes. And if you look at that data set, it's very kludgy at best. And it's a, they kind of try to piece it together the best they can to get an idea. So the idea with what we've done is not only thinking about all the data and, and the technology piece, but it's when 
when you have to print this out and somebody actually has to read it and make a decision or be an informed user of that data, how do we take all of these tools that we've learned along the way, like you were talking about that 10,000 hours, there's a big difference between like, look at all this data, we're magnificent. And, and it's like, that's great. But it's like, look at all this great data that actually provides an insight for tribal behaviors. So you don't have to necessarily pinpoint Adam Jones, you can pinpoint a whole net of people like Adam Jones that have various types of like, concentric circles or consensus mechanisms around them as an individual. And then now you're able to understand them better. And then again, as people query that data, as these advertising agencies or any marketing or anybody wants to learn more about these, um, these anonymized data sets, they can then get, again, the utility because people pay for that data set. And again, I said, it's anonymized and encrypted. They don't know it's me per se. They know it's this long chain. Then that, that, money that they spend on that data set gets sent right back to the user so they can actually be rewarded for their they're not working for us we're working for them unlike in your amazon or your google examples we're employees of amazon and google every day right and so yep. the idea here is we're employees of the fan that's where that's the way we look at it I, I love that concept of, of really flipping, you know, it on its head that, that no longer in Web3, and we say this about our community as well, you know, our communities aren't the monetizable item. They're our clients. Um, you know, how can we serve them? Because for the first time, we actually have real interaction that can be done through tokenization and, and digitization and a variety of governance metrics. So, so real quick on, on this model. So you, you're, you've got data. You guys are going to be collecting warehouses full of data uh, on chain. Um, is this a closed loop or is this open for anyone? So you could have another venue that's looking in and saying, well, the, the guys across the street are doing, you know, being really successful with comedy acts. Um, you know, can they market to those same people or is it, is there sure. kind of closed? A little as bit closed long door? as everybody's participating, we can totally do that. You know what I mean? Okay. It's, it's one of those things where everybody should be participating in the network to provide um, utility to that user. Um, is it open to everybody? Certain data sets? Yes. But again, we want to make sure that everybody's a participant in this and it's just not free reign for everybody to just pilfer off of. The idea is just like in a um, directly cyclical graph situation, the more participation, the faster it goes. The more, the more participation, the more utility, the more happy the fan. So the idea here is everybody should participate if they want to get to know you better. Right. Ideally, the data lake is improving with each additional user, right? And that is... Trend, uh, it is mobile. It is it, it migrates across different events, different styles of events, different types of entertainment. But there are ways that we can gate those outputs to brands and to venues. And on, at the same time, on the consumer side, we've been extremely careful about permissions for data sharing and even allowed users to dial that into individual events. You know, so maybe you're comfortable sharing some information with the Chicago Bulls, but you're not comfortable sharing other types of information with O'Hare Airport or whatever. Um, so we can gate it on that side and um, how that is teed up and queried by different brands. We also have controls over, but it's something we've been very deliberate about is account creation, ID verification, wallet security, data permissions, all of these things have been really at the crux of our roadmap and something we've been very deliberate about. But something that ideally is also universal as sort of a concept is fan token. Um, we've seen 
just talking about marketing science type stuff, I think the average American, Adam can correct me, has something like 14 loyalty programs active at any given time uh, and uses each one less than once probably uh, and and then subsequently forgets about it completely and never comes back. Um, so we see all this uh, appeal, obviously, not just to the monetization of user attention and, and contribution, but also... Uh, fan has the opportunity to be much more universal as, as opposed to airline miles that are only value, only redeemable with one particular brand uh, or airline. Uh, this is much more, um, I think, adaptable and flexible when it comes to redemption and what you can actually do with that as a utility. So, so I guess that's my question is you guys are starting with kind of <clears throat> fan events, sporting events, concerts. Uh, and by the way, we'll have Faith Moore, one of my one of my all time favorite bands. Um, can this expand to anything? Can this expand yeah. to you know little league, uh, little league games? Can it ex- can it expand yeah. to uh, parties, house parties? Like, do, does there any limitation on events? There's really as no long limitation. People are coming to it. And the funny space? thing is, um, I look at the world as one giant arcade, right? And there, that's the whole reason we called it Token like, or Ico we initially it was me i looked at it like when you go to the video arcade there's all kinds of things you'd engage in from skee-ball to again i'm gonna age myself like teenage Mutant ninja turtles to the first mortal Kombat. right uh you just put your dollar in there and then there was all these tokens that came out that's actually where the root of the word came from and do you know why those tokens come out why you give the dollar and then you those tokens come out do you know the real reason why arcades did that it's because the metal that they use on that on those Mm-mm. coins is actually stronger than currency. So you get more plays. So the idea, and, and that's why I just nicknamed it token and it's stuck even before like tokens were flying around everywhere now. Um, so the idea was the world is your arcade. You put your money in and then we're going to give you that hard and fast, reliable thing. So you can engage in all of these different facets of your life. And so it can even go as far as, like I said, some of the things that we're doing in your um, identity space and the tools we're providing for identity. Um, you can use our tool to go to the metaverse to log in and then use the use those ID, use that ID that we've created for you to verify that you're a real good actor on chain. And so the whole point to everything we're, we're focusing on is, sure, we call it fan, fans pretty easy you can be a fan of baseball but you could also be a fan of louis vuitton you can be a fan fandom and just engagement in the things you love is universal everybody everybody's a fan of something there's something that you love to do and so the idea of what we're doing is we focused like i said on these kind of the event space is really easy because it's this place you go to and you can participate and you learn you Get educated as you go, which is really cool. And that's why I wanted to start there first, because there's all kinds of education that happens in the event. It's a kind of a closed network. Then once people understand and grow and learn how the mechanics work, we can use this to log into browsers. We can use this when you log into your socials. We can use this in different ways and reward you for that participation in learning Learn and earn. I mean, that's that's nothing new. But what we're doing is we're trying to give them in in real life um, participatory way to earn, so they can see how it works. And then when they go to the, do these digital experiences, or they see utility coming in their wallet, they're like, "Oh, that people must be querying my data," or um, I, "I did all the I interacted with the Brave browser and I logged in doing this." 
now they they understand the hooks digitally, right? So it's you got to do things in real life first, learn it, earn it, and see it. And then so and the other thing, one of some of the things that we're working on too is the non fungible ownership part. Another thing that we're putting we putting we put patents on is uh, and trademarked the non fungible ownership piece because you're going to own these things. And the humans are the most non-fungible thing on the planet, more so than a token, more so than in, and so we want to provide them with their non-fungible ownership. So, so give me so run through this this NVE. So, um, you gave a definition. NFE, and we need to dive into it a little bit more. Sure. So NFE, um, it's uh, it's two in two separate entities of it, but it's all it's essentially the same thing. So the non-fungible experience, right? So. NFTs are awesome. You can use them for for walking through the threshold and use that as almost like the ticket. But to me, it's still kind of a throwaway thing because you can take that totem and pass it to set. You can do those things. That's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Um, And you can have fractional ownership. There's all kinds of cool things you can do with NFTs. But the way I view the future is, and especially with the data side of this and what we're doing in our ownership of our data when you go over the threshold and at the end of that event in our application and what we're providing for anybody else that wants to participate is we're giving that user the NFE and that NFE is that data collection of everything that happened in event. That's yours for life. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. I can trade and sell the NFT if I don't want it anymore. And maybe Seth really wants my sweet faith no more nft but my experience that i had at that faith no more show that's mine forever and my nfe is a unique um is a unique data set and um graphic or artwork that is given to me that i solely own forever and then that follows me with my did and also aggregates to my digital thumbprint so the next time i go to a show or the metaverse or go into any sandbox or whatever that that is being is used to be able to give that zero trust network. And so we, again, we were talking earlier about some of these things where you follow the developers and being an engineer and being a developer in this space, you show up, you see these things and you're like, you know what, we can expand more on this NFT thinking and look at this as more of like a data set umbrella around the thumbprint of that individual. And so that's really where the NFE really comes into play. And then um, the, the other um, proprietary stuff that we own is the non-fungible ownership piece of like there's different parts of your data set and there's different parts of what you do that you solely own and you need to be um, and if it's if it's fractionalized or if it's something that you've done original or something that you wanted to um, to show to the world or or um, sell off that some of that ownership is 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 yours. Yeah, I think there's two really important things Adam just touched on. One is uh, ownership of your identity. Right, but also kind of within that is how fractionalized your identity currently is. Um, you look at how many different logins you have currently across Twitch or PlayStation or Reddit, you know, across the board, how many different passwords and identities you're managing and what information all those different uh, entities have on you and about you. So it's about reclaiming ownership of that, but also kind of unifying um, that digital persona in some ways and whoever whomever can like figure this out right to unite one sort of digital avatar 
across all these different experiences and use one single sign-on experience uh, because we have really robust, like I said, identity verification stuff, KYC type stuff on the back end. Like if, if you can become a standard in some ways for SSO and, and log in for all these okay. things, I think it's pretty powerful. And, and the second thing I just wanted to mention quickly, sorry, Jay, um, it, is we talked about... Uh, education and web three. And I, 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 again, listened to your constellation pod and uh, Diggle's touched on this, um, how much education is required. Right. And for us, the most compelling, powerful type of education is through doing, um, and for, for people to really get their hands dirty with this technology, but in ways where it's subtle that like, yes, this is web three adjacent or, you might suddenly be in the metaverse in some ways and not even know it, but that that is the entire like key to success for adoption. I think is figure out existing user behaviors and motivations and how to tap into that in extremely intuitive ways. So we have all of our design is done in house, and I can't tell you the amount of times we've gone ten rounds over usability for our application and. Uh, some of these different flows and making sure the user isn't bounced out to different modals and making sure that, you know, even if you are processing these different types of transactions that might be foreign to you, it still seems uh, very intuitive in some ways. And 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 uh, all of this is mobile, right? So it's very different from desktop, like crypto transacting. I remember my first uh, Uniswap experience. I was mortified. Uh, I remember my first. <laughs> I, I think my sending, I think my first one you know, is still in the queue. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember sending you know three four figures uh, to a, an exchange wallet and being terrified. Um, so it's like, how can we take all of that fear out of it in in ways and automate a lot of these processes and eliminate some of these barriers barriers to entry for for Web three? And that's what we're trying to do, right? Start with the use case, start with the user, start with the problem, and uh, find innovative solutions for it, not vice versa, right? Like I'm sure you talk to plenty of people that are very focused on, especially in a, in a bear, bear cycle, how to create separation and, and lasting power. And, and that's, that's through adoption, right? And, and not being a hammer looking for nails. Yeah, so I, I want to, there's a couple points I want to jump on. And, and the answer to your question, how many logins do I have is 1,718. Right. Um, I checked my password manager real quick for you. Um, and, and so with that, with that, what you're saying, and, and listen, I am entirely on board with with single sign on and, and, and the idea that that your your wallets, your your Web three wallets, will hold everything. So when you walk into a room, your TV will recognize that you're there, and you got your Netflix and your your Prime your Prime NFTs in there, and, and it just knows to that you're in the room. Let's let's put Jay's stuff on, and, and the ideas, and concept around that are are, are valid. Um, talk to me about you know when you say that like it's safe. Because you're KYC and it's 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 safe because it's like because there's a lot there um, and so you know someone's life at this point is is their passwords it's, it is their login so so walk me through kind of um, you know I, I'm Jay I'd like to I'd like to start uh, with one of these wallets and and you know a couple months later I've lost I've lost control of my wallet I've, my phone's been lost my phone's been hacked how do I reclaim that so uh, no what what we're doing for the user is. Everything on the back end that we're building in um, our space, giving them the we're doing the custodial and the non-custodial wallet uh, work, and we're making sure that from a regulatory standpoint, everything we're doing is safe, and we're not running into some of these mobile hacks that you're seeing. Um, and so, what we're trying to do for the user is provide them with that security, and we're taking that on full force. And so, 
we are protecting the user from getting hacked in that sense, where we're um, kicking this over to providers that actually will protect that user's data and protect those seed keys and protect all those things. If you want to own your, if you want to have that custodial wallet, that's great, or non-custodial, that's great too. But what we're doing is um, building in the infrastructure so that um, security is paramount and at the front. And it's not this like, well, use it at your own risk. We're trying to say, we're going to provide you with all of the, all of the um, protections on the back end so that you don't have to worry about these things, right? Again, nothing's perfect, but what we're doing is we are investing our efforts and our money into those, um, that wallet information or those, or that money or, um, or the crypto that is housed on that wallet being insured and protected by our, the, our providers and by our solutions. So we're putting our money where our mouth is and providing those protections for the user and again, wallets aren't perfect, but we're trying to do our best to keep the user away from harm in that sense. I think there's two sides to that question, Jay. Is One is ensuring the accuracy and cleanliness of the data, right? And that comes from verification. Um, so you, you can see through our user account creation steps, um, you know, it's kind of a fine line. We don't want it to be too cumbersome to turn people off, but we also need a sufficient data set to ensure that they are who they say they are and they're not spinning up multiple accounts or wallets and so on. Um, and then we need to have confidence that we can um, query that data with accuracy and provide our platform clients with accurate snapshots um, of user behaviors. And then on the other side, it, wallet security, you know, it's very uh, like Adam said, it, it's a challenge, right? Because maybe you wanted to save this for the challenges uh, section. But um, the trade-offs between usability and security um, are always going to be a thing Massive. in this space. And, and similarly, decentralization and usability. Like we see that with protocols, um, with L1s. And um, we also see that yep. with our wallet, right? Where there's this push at our hearts, we want to be as user-friendly as possible. And we have, you know, a brilliant chief creative officer um, who is a UX bigwig at a, a major agency here. And we want this to be very a very seamless, intuitive experience. Um, but then there are trade-offs with how you architect that on the back end, right? As far as, like, users custodying their own keys um, in a, a MetaMask style or having a trusted partner that maintains custody of keys, um, and then runs all that sort of OFAC and compliance and fraudulent transaction scanning perpetually in the background to make sure um, that you're not attacked. Because as a new product, you will be. And, and we're trying to harden that yeah. as much as possible in beta phases and anticipate that in various ways. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the push-pull. And um, we're very excited to, I can't announce these partnerships just yet, but you should see some outbound announcements from Token in the in the coming weeks as far as some of our, our, our partners. I know Adam's being very careful about that, but it's pretty bleeding edge stuff, you know, like redemption of utilities, live redemption of crypto, like you've been able to buy online for a while, right? But Jack Mahler's and Strike, you know, that was one of the biggest announcements at the BTC conference was, hey, here's a real time Bitcoin transaction. And like that just started now so it's it's pretty bleeding edge stuff uh and you know at the outset i don't know if adam knew he was going to be kind of tackling all these super yep. dense nebulous like technical problems but uh that's what we've been unwinding yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. that pandora's box. it's a, that that pandora's box you, you start working on one problem and then you realize no one's fixed these other 10 things right. and so you go well 
crap, I got to do that too. Um, and so I, I can absolutely see where that happens. Well, that's where you get into this combinatorial innovation plus innovation, right? It's like you have to look at all of the technology in the stack as it lives and breathes today. And then also where are the things that you're going to innovate and change? And so I'm taking that approach to how we're building and developing, but at the same time too, we have to innovate and do things differently as well. So we're building proprietary things along with doing this take, you know, like the iPhone in itself is combinatorial innovation, right? It's, it was a bunch of things that already existed and then came to fruition and then now everybody uses it. But there's also innovations that yep. happened along the way as well. So if you look at this space and like, you know, a real thing that you can touch and feel like we have to do those things and nothing's perfect, but we are dead set. I, I knew a lot of these things were going to happen when I started. And so that's always been out there and it's just, but if you don't start, you can't, you can't go. So we've started and we are building and we're unpacking these things along the way and making sure that we get all of our, all of our innovation in line with the right innovation that's already there and not trying to reinvent any wheels and also putting our users at, um, in an aside from aside from just the technical challenges and the token roadmap, I mean the regulatory environment uh, for payment processing itself is kind of a minefield. You know, so you look at what we're building. We have sixteen plus um, engineers, front, back end, mobile, QA, d- um, design, working on three different applications at the moment, and there are all these things that we want to do that we think are really cool but then need to reconcile that with what is technically feasible and then from a regulatory standpoint, how we do that very deliberately and carefully so we're future-proofing the business um, when it comes to SEC and everything else. Um, So our our backlog is extremely fluid, and and I think good software development, it should be. Like um, I think I kind of came up with very fixed budgets within time box client relationships, but good software development, uh, ideally you can run it as agile as humanly possible and you have a limited budget and everything else. But we, we all know that's not the case, but our backlog is, is constantly evolving um, to account for these things. Yeah. And I, I want to circle back to a point that Adam made. And I think, you know, when he talked about the iPhone and the innovation, you know, for, for there's a lot of the generation that's listening right now that, that they've only known like the iPhone that we play with. And then we forget that Apple's first foray into, you know, mobile music beyond the iPod was, yes, we think that, you know, the iPod should be on a phone and they partnered with Nokia and came out with something that if you search, I think they've spent a bunch of money to try to erase from the internet and have no one ever remember that there was a Nokia, you know, iPod integration because it was horrible. Um, and, and, you know, the articles was like, really, this is the phone of the future? And, and to Apple to go, God, okay, now we have to do it as well. And I think you guys are seeing a lot of this, that you go, there's a lot of things you'd love to not have to tackle. Like if you, if you could just focus on your core product and, and there was an amazing wallet out there, great. But there's not. And, you know, I, I, I say there's two main issues that we got right now. There's a lot of issues, in crypto, but two big ones. One is bridges and the other is wallets. Um, and, and no one has really solved either of those problems in any way, shape or form. So I really think you guys, again, had that KYC approach is, is a huge one. Is it, is it forced KYC? But if I'm going to just throw a thing and I want to have people come over to my Halloween party and I don't care about KYC, can people just use it or do, or is this ever going to be forced into that way at, at some point? So our KYC is, you know, it, it is rooted in the uh, philosophy of the path of frictionless. It's not the okay. same type of KYC that you're thinking of. Um, in some instances. So it's like, it, it's KYC, it's legit KYC, it is verified, but it's, 
quick. It's okay. so the way we're doing it, the way we're partnering in some of these ways that we're able to maneuver and do things in a way where it's frictionless for the user, they're there. So some of these um, things are currently there, and we're able to we were able to hitch our our uh, product to that wagon early. And so even if you wanted to do that um, Halloween party or whatever and say somebody just wants to log in as a guest and it's not like this high profile thing, something like that is doable. So listen, you guys are, are, are very mature in the space. You've, you've had a long story history of your, your 10,000 hours in your prospective fields. Um, and, and now you're, you're really into it. You've been doing this for a couple of years now. Um, and Web3 moves at about four and a half times the speed of, of TradFi, meaning that for every day in the stock market, there's four and a half days cryptocurrency market. So the cycles are so much quicker. And whatever you wanted to do six months ago has already evolved and changed. Uh, and a year ago, it's an entirely different landscape. Um, would you guys mind sharing a couple kind of your, your best warnings you've had maybe in the last uh, six to 12 months um, to, to share with the audience? And, and we can start with you. Brad. Um, what I've learned, um, first and foremost, is everybody wants to engage in Web3, but nobody has a Sherpa to get there or nobody has a translator to get there. There are a lot of entities, people, um, just everybody wants to learn and know, but it does take time to understand it. What I have learned um, during this process of both building, using, and doing is the user's ready for it, but they're ready for something they can trust and the, the trust and the understanding and um, being able to use something that actually, you know, makes sense to them is the biggest thing that um, a user needs. The same is on the, um, the other side, the business side of the house. People want to trust the product or trust the service to actually provide them with what they say they're going to do. And the biggest learnings here are how are we, going to sit in the center of this and build the bridge to both of those sets of people and parties and create something that um, trust can be um, had in. So the biggest thing that I've learned is people want to engage and dip their toe in the water. We have spoken with so many people. They're just so scared because again, let's be honest, there has been some vapor. There has been some bad actors. There has just been things that have blown up and that happens. And, and unfortunately you make an omelet, you got to crack some eggs and it's sometimes at the detriment of those users. So what we learned is be transparent. Tell people exactly what you're doing. Show them the things that you're doing. Have a roadmap that's actually real and come out with ideas and, and build something to provide trust. That's why everything we do is rooted in frictionless behavior to so the users can use it, but it's also trustable. And we're also partnering with people that also are, 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 can be trusted. And so my biggest learning in, in building too is, you know, I've built this for a long time since 2015 and along the way I have run into like some trust issues. And so I have to be very diligent about how I vet and build and, and um, build this in, in service the user. Like I said, really it's, we're in the service of the fan, not the other way around. They don't work for us. We work for them. So we have to make those right business decisions and those technical decisions so that it's a business. It's not a project that shows up, mints a coin, and blows up and then disappears. Because we're awesome. In this- I love. I really love that. That's and, and again, there's been more than a few rug pulls and a few uh, vaporwares, but but nobody's counting. Nobody's nobody's counting here. Seth, sure. Thank you. 
I mean, I think there's some real softballs here as far as <laughs> the amount you should be budgeting for for legal advice, for example, as a, a new product and a new project. <laughs> Adam can speak more on that, but I, I've been thinking more about it. Um, you know, again, I've I've listened to some of your pods, and I think a lot as about barrier to entry. And uh, again, forgive me as a former philosopher in a past life. Uh, I studied history of scientific revolution, and you know, Galileo, Copernicus, all these sort of paradigm shifts in thinking. Um, epistemology. Uh, one of my papers was in moral relativism, so pretty dry, terrifying stuff. Uh, <laughs> but at, at the same time, I think about it in in terms of of Web three, and I listen to this Lex Friedman podcast. I hope you don't mind um, name dropping, but he, he had an interview with um, a philosopher named Donald Hoffman, and uh, it was about how all, all, all reality is is perception. Right, and this has been a long sort of the mind-body distinction, cognitive cognitive dissonance, um, perception versus reality. John Locke, you know, Tabula Rasa, all that good stuff. It's been going on for centuries, right? But this podcast was about not only is reality perception, but all reality is perception. And within that, uh, everything that we think of as fundamental truth or transcendental truth, in some ways, from Newtonian physics to uh, relativity is deeply flawed thinking and uh, will be shown to be untrue in various ways. Um, so we can approximate truth in certain ways, but at, at the fundamental the root of this podcast was this is all construction as a human survival mechanism, right? Like we need to deceive ourselves in various ways just to function day to day. And I, I think about, about Web3 through that lens, right? You think about how cumbersome trade fi is and uh, traditional banking and um, sending money via Western Union to your home country, any number of examples, right, of like, why has this not changed faster? Why has this antiquated behemoth of an industry with Ticketmaster not evolved for 40, 50 years, you know? And I think it's certainly it's resistance, it's lack of innovation, but it's also we're trapped in these paradigms. We, like we don't know different and we don't know better and it's hard for us to make that sort of logical leap in various ways. So in order to facilitate that, I think you need products and experiential products uh, for people to get their feet wet. Sorry if that was really, really dense. That's a, no, that, that's, the, that's the deepest statement that anyone's ever made on this podcast. And you know, remember, you're speaking to a bunch of degenerate gamblers. So you want know most of their heads but no i mean this is what <laughs> no it or 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 is or, or is what i always say to seth i go yeah 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 prometheus let's just bring the fire to the <laughs> yeah. you, you know so i do want to i do want to take a point real quick on on what you just said because it actually was really profound and 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 there's a lot a lot of depth in in, in there um and i want to start back to it, it's time for for the professionals yeah. to enter space. Um, and we've seen a lot of amazing projects um, and that had great use cases that, that proved people were interested in blockchains. People were interested in digital currencies. They were interested in having their identities on chains. Um, but but beyond the cursory scratching the surface, as you guys said, you know, there wasn't a lot of depth. There, there wasn't like, okay, we made it work. How do we make it safe? We made it safe. How do we it usable, and I really appreciate you know the, the thought that you guys have in there, and 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 you know again I really appreciate the way you spoke about this, but but there's you're you're finally breaking through and saying we've 
solved these three problems that were our core. But now there, we've exposed 10 right. more that we have to solve right. because that's exactly. going the right way yeah. to do Yeah, and I mean, there's, it's just so inspiring, the, the innovation that has already gone into these layer ones, uh, you know, and heroes within the space. But then on the other side of it, Jay, I also wonder, why was I still investing in Tomb Forks in uh, fall of 2021? You know, it's that same pattern of thinking uh, that, you know, we should have recognized some of these. And people saw the hallmarks with Terra Luna as an experiment, you know, uh, and how that was hackable and fallible in various ways. So it, it's a question of, like, how, a comfort, I think, and um, being very uh, content with these sort of patterns of behavior. But uh, Ryan Zur, who, who you had on recently, he talked about this crypto social. And, and nobody has gotten it right yet. And whomever does there's going yep. to be trillion dollar upside uh, because yep. people will see the opportunity and they will see the commodit- commoditization of Absolutely. these behaviors. C- creators will see their take rates disappear, uh, you know, with this sort of direct relationship with fans. And yeah, there's just massive opportunity here. And that's what really as frustrating as some of these problems can be like, that is what is very inspiring about all of this. I love it guys. Uh, why whales? This is, uh, tokens. We've got Adam and Seth. Uh, I can promise you they're going to 100% be back. Uh, they're getting ready to launch their MVP. Um, again, where, where's the best place to kind of check you guys out, uh, follow you, hang out, and harass you? Sure. Um, TKNEvents.com or revolution.fan. Um, and then if you go to either one of those, it goes right to our main site and our Discord, Telegram. So all the socials are there um, at the bottom of the page. You can engage in our white paper pitch decks, all the good stuff. And um, yeah, you can reach out to us anytime. Awesome. Thank you so much for stopping by. We'll talk to you soon. Why Whales, have a great day. We'll catch you soon. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.